0: out of the air. Real talk. This has got to be the only president a uh, present uh, you could even consider giving to somebody who loves talk radio or buy. But almost. If you were to call Sea crane Company before 10 o'clock in the morning and go for some special ordering procedure... It might be possible to get this by Christmas. (laughs) Maybe. It is a a, a, a superb AM and FM radio with a quarter-speed tape deck built in, and it allows, of course, up to four hours, nearly four hours of record time on one side of a cassette tape. So it is the talk radio person's dream, all in one, easy to use, you can use it like a clock radio if you want to, it'll wake you up, it operates on AC power, or, yes, you can put batteries in and take it with you, a built-in microphone and headphone jack, and it is simply the talk radio person's uh, dream. The price includes shipping and, uh, with the exception, of course, of the special shipping, I mean, I don't know. They're probably gonna to have to give it to a little guy who will fly it to you or something. It's not that bad, but you get the idea. <laughs> it can be done, or you can order it to arrive uh, between Christmas and the New Year, uh, or the day after Christmas, or the day after the day, day after. You get the idea. It is one forty nine ninety five, and uh, the Sea Grain Company will be open until noon time. On Christmas Eve until noontime, then they're going home. And yes, if you are truly crazed and you want to get it there by Christmas, there is a chance. But you have to call before 10 o'clock in the morning. Okay? The number is 1 800 522 8863. Once again, that's 1 800 522 8863. The Sea Crane Company. When it comes to information on extraterrestrials, if you're like me, you just can't get enough. And I'm telling you, you've got to see the spine-chilling video, Area 51, the alien interview. Thousands of my listeners have already ordered this 65-minute documentary video containing the most convincing color footage of government agents interviewing a space alien inside the infamous secret base at Area 51. Leaked to the public by a heavily disguised and very frightened man who's known only as Victor. This unedited video will leave your heart pounding. See for yourself why Victor fears government agents might kill him in retaliation for releasing the dramatic footage. Is it real? Judge for yourself. The cost is only 19.95 plus shipping and handling. You'll want to watch it over and over again. I have. To order, call one 800 510 3420 right now. Allow two weeks for delivery. The video's been featured on Extra and Strange Universe, but you only got a little piece here, you get it all. You can get it through this offer only. 1-800-510-3420, Area 51, The Alien Interview. 1-800-510-3420, call now. Alright, you're gonna to wanna to pay very close attention to what you're about to hear. Even before the 8th December 97 kickoff of the public hearing by the chairman of the National Transportation Safety Board into the loss of TWA Flight 800, misleading NTSB soundbites were already flooding the media. No evidence of a bomb or missile. Temperatures in the tank, 145 degrees Fahrenheit or faulty wiring. Remember? Uh, fuel pumps, fuel probes come under scrutiny as the cause were typical statements conveyed to the millions of American and French citizens still very interested. Unfortunately, they were misleading or not true. That is the statement of Bill Donaldson. And in view of the seriousness of what we are about to present to you, I think it appropriate that Bill... Uh, roll over some of his background. It is a long resume, but if you could hit the highlights, uh, Bill, so they understand who they're hearing.
1: Good morning, uh, Art. I sure appreciate the opportunity again. Uh, uh, I guess the the best way to say it is I'm a 25-year active duty commander when I retired from the Navy, Uh, aviator during that entire time, Graduate of Monterey's uh, Naval Postgraduate School in in crash investigation. I've probably looked uh, looked at at least ten or more uh, military crashes, including uh, uh, one was a shootdown of a Navy uh, jet off of the uh, East Coast back in the in the late 70s. Um, I've got quite a bit of experience in uh, in aviation. I I grew up. I was an Air Force brat to begin with. So uh,
0: uh-huh.
1: from the time I remember, I was uh, basically uh, uh, immersed in aviation, so uh, I got into this uh, with uh, when I realized that the chairman of the NTSB back nine months ago was was making statements in the public that didn't make a whole lot of sense uh, about the uh, the origin of the uh, problem on flight eight
0: hundred Everything you knew as an investigator into aircraft accidents told you what you were hearing had Holes in it, problems, little problems, big gaping holes. What? Major, major holes, in the, in, and it's, it would be it'd be
1: smart to to tell the audience that um, in a way there there are things in aviation that you can you can you can count on. Uh, you literally do every time you uh, get on a on a jetliner and go somewhere. The history, the the safety history of Boeing uh, built uh, jet airliners is amazing. And in particular, the 747. That is the safest way a human being can transport himself across the face of the earth. And I want to I reemphasize that because uh, what Chairman Hall was saying way back then, uh, uh, this was at least uh, nine months ago, is that this airliner, this Flight 800, somehow blew itself up in the, in the sky over Long Island and I've got to reiterate that has never happened. What he specifically said happened has never happened in the history of aviation. There's never been a 747 that had an internal failure in a fuel tank that caused an explosion. So knowing that and knowing that uh, the, they were he was basically beginning a program that's culminated in, uh, I'll say the, the demonization, of the fuel, the fuel system, and the aircraft itself. And it's, uh, what it amounts to is about $100 million worth of, uh, propaganda, culminating in that, uh, in that public hearing uh, beginning on the 8th of December in Baltimore.
0: Bill, I would be asking you for an opinion, but I guess I will do it anyway. Uh, after what you just said, would you conclude, do you conclude that there, um, Focus on the center fuel tank and an explosion, an accident, in quotes. Uh, do, you, do you believe that they're focusing on that because they really think that could be the only thing that did it, or they're focusing on that because they are lying to us? Well, that's a... Uh... That's a pretty direct
1: and blunt way to say it, but I'd uh, I go for option two because um, what I've found is uh, it, it's incredible to me that the amount of data that exists um, and has even leaked out before this massive uh, uh, release of uh, of documents uh, in Baltimore uh Virtually everything that I'm seeing points to an external explosion being the uh, the beginning of the sequence. Now the the opportunity is there on on their part to uh, to make it appear that there was a uh, a problem in the fuel tank because the fuel tank did explode. We should be make sure the audience understands that uh, uh, I'm not maintaining that uh, the tank didn't explode.
0: Right. But
1: it was a product of Uh, A prior event, which uh, was probably about uh, somewhere uh, around a second, uh, one second in time, prior to the actual fuel tank exploding, there was a massive explosion outside the the, uh, fuselage.
0: Last time you were on, you were accompanied by two eyewitnesses, one in a Black Hawk helicopter and uh, the other who happened to be on Long Island, and... I have received uh, some very interesting letters from pilots on the ground who saw some very unusual aircraft movement on Long Island just uh, uh, just a, at about the time of this whole thing occurring. Uh, but still, Bill, we've got a long way to go to prove that what you're saying is true. And, of course, I, I asked you bluntly, and you said they were lying. All right. The next question, before we get into what you've got tonight, is why, Bill, would they lie about this? Why would they lie if it was a terrorist action? Why, why lie? Well, unfortunately,
1: I think what there's a pretty strong indication that uh, uh, we we as a as a nation or as a government may have uh, have had tippers, so to speak, uh, that uh, something was going to happen. And I believe that, uh, uh, like the various other terrorist acts that have occurred, uh, particularly the uh, 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 Trade Center uh, situation in New York, Mm -hmm. uh, in this case, it it, it happened to be Flight 800 was the victim. uh, And I do believe that uh, the FBI and some other uh, parts of our government knew that there was a threat, and they, they may have even acted to intercept the threat, there there's There's some indications of that, but they they didn't make it. So uh, the, in fact, the aircraft uh, was lost. And in that process, and because of the timing, you know it was right at the point of the Olympics, it was uh, uh, fifteen weeks before the presidential election. Uh, this became an untenable um, it would have been an untenable fact uh, in the political climate, uh, you know for this administration. I mean that's a. That's my guess. That's the guess for the motive of, uh, of keeping a lid on this thing. And senior officials have were heard uh, uh, at the right after this accident. And uh, I think Mr. Kelstrom was overheard saying uh, words to the effect that the, the White House is really embarrassed uh, about this, and we're going to take control of it. And That was uh, on the first day on the job. I've had that relayed to me. So. Uh, And there's a lot of other indicators. We don't have time to get into that, but uh, what I'm trying to do is get out the the science, the hard facts. I understand. Particularly to
0: pilots, to, uh,
1: you know, to uh, aeronautical engineers and those kind of people that are in
0: your audience. Oh, and so so we shall, but just one more thing, Bill. Sure. Uh, For it to be a lie, it means it is a cover-up. Right. For it to be a cover-up, how many people would, of necessity, have to be part of it? It's not as it's it's not really as uh, as simple
1: as that because of the way the NTSB is organized, uh, particularly and uh, the FBI on the way they, they investigate things. Um, the NTSB, for instance, will have all these different working groups, and and each one of these groups will focus on a narrow range of the investigation. Uh, that one group may be looking at uh, just at the edges of pieces of metal. And they'll come out with a report, and they have literally almost no idea what the group right next to them is doing. So they'll see something that will point, hey, this looks pretty suspicious, but it's not overwhelming because they don't know all the other pieces that are coming together, pointing at the, uh, at the, at the conclusion. Okay, I Bill, own.
0: but there was one group that concentrated, for example, on the eyewitnesses, and there are, what, 200 people right. who think they saw a missile head toward this airplane. That's, uh Now, that would be a lot of field agents. And, boy, it sure is hard to imagine, Bill, that they'd be cooperative in an effort to... Yes. Well, here's the point. Uh, there were estimated over
1: 400 FBI agents on Long Island. Right. Uh, I don't know how many FBI agents there are in the world, but that's got to be a pretty good chunk of them. And I, I see what you're getting at, but the point is the, the FBI is probably the closest thing to... Civilian military organization that there is, right? And they they're going to follow orders. And if you remember, we had uh, Mr. Goss on, who who literally saw the thing leave the surface, uh, climb outbound, uh, turn hard left, and then detonate, uh, and, and then of course saw the aircraft pieces falling. Well, the two agents that that came out to see him when when they saw where he was and looked out and saw what you know what he was looking at. And uh, when he told them they saw the thing maneuver hard left, they got extremely excited. Uh, a couple of probably fairly young agents, uh, they thought they had the world by the, you know, uh, they, they had this thing solved. They apparently went running back to headquarters not to be seen again. I mean, uh, the, the fact is that they come in with the reports, but if the, if the top guys are not going to do anything with it. Uh, do
0: we know who these agents are by name?
1: Uh, I don't know, Richard Goss may know, Uh, I didn't didn't bother trying to track down the individual guy, but I can tell you this, the FBI has 96 eyewitnesses that literally saw something leave the surface, climb up, track outbound, and uh, intercept Flight 800, and they will not allow the American people to know what the names of those 96 people are, and that's extremely unusual. Uh, They're... Their excuse is that, uh, th- this may still yet become a criminal investigation, and if we let any of this information loose to the public, uh, then it'll jeopardize a prosecution, even though we're not actively, uh, on the case. It's a ludicrous point, uh, of view to take, considering the seriousness of this mishap.
0: Well, their official statement, their official statement says, that it was not a criminal act. That's their official statement. And, right. and you're, you just told me they're still saying it may yet turn into a criminal investigation.
1: Right. I read Mr. Kallstrom's, uh, it's a long letter that he wrote to uh, Mr. Hall. Kalstrom is the uh, recently retired assistant uh, 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 FBI director in New York. Uh, he lays out a very long letter in to Hall that protests Several things: one, the release of any names of any testimony from eyewitnesses. He wouldn't even allow uh, the NTSB to replay the CIA tape that the FBI had produced. that was designed to uh, explain away what these eyewitnesses saw. Uh, a whole series of things, and uh, of course, uh, Mr. Hall. Uh, the, essentially, I mean, I went to the I went to that uh, in that public hearing. And there really wasn't a whole lot of public about it. I mean, you, you didn't even hear the word witness in five days. I mean, it was orchestrated uh, totally to ignore the fact that uh, almost a 100 people are adamant about seeing something leave the surface and go up after that airport.
0: You actually said it was structured more like an old Soviet Union show trial. I remember those. It's exactly true. And, and
1: the, the reason that I said that is that the way they constructed this thing you have a uh, a technical panel which was all NTSB uh, employees uh senior people that would ask questions of uh the witnesses that were brought up and uh with mr hall sitting in between uh between the two acting as a judge if it needs to be i guess and uh, and essentially the witnesses are almost all on the federal payroll they're either uh uh, research uh, folks that have been granted uh, large sums of money, or um, uh, you know, folks that are already working for the government. So, uh, and remember, I'm a I'm a retired naval aviator. I'm 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 on the federal payroll. Okay, I mean in retirement. So I'm not denigrating anybody for being on the federal payroll. But the point being, it it made it appear as if you know all the facts were coming out and all sides were being heard. And that, in fact, uh, was not true.
0: There are a lot of things, Bill, that are interesting to toy with in terms of conspiracy theories and so forth. But there were a lot of people killed here. And a lot of families are grieving. And it's a really, really serious um, incident. And it's a very serious allegation you're making. Sure. So... I'm going to break here at the bottom of the hour, and when we come back, uh, you really, you claim that you have what you call smoking gun evidence that this aircraft, what was in fact brought down by an exterior force, a missile, you believe. Is that right? That's correct. All right. Stay where you are. We'll be right back to you. Now you've got a little bit of background, just in case you hadn't heard William Donaldson previously, now you've got a little background. When we come back, we're going to uh, tell you why we think we know it was shot down. 1-800-825-5033.
1: That's 1-800-825-5033. Now,
0: here again is Art Bell. Once again, here I am, and I wish I could tell you that what you are about to hear has more Christmas cheer within it, but it won't. I suggest you roll your tape recorders, and you get ready to transcribe, because what you're about to hear... Bill Donaldson says, is smoking gun evidence that Flight 800 was shot out of the sky. So go get your recorder, will you? Are you all now? William S. Donaldson, an aviation consultant, uh, who has been, uh, studying this TWA crash since it occurred, and evidence that you have never heard before.
1: Bill? Uh let me uh take one minute to before i get into the flight data recorder to explain something the ntsb did with their flight tests all right i think it's important that your audience understand the the kind of and i will use the word deception that went on at that uh, uh at that public hearing what they did was uh, of course they chartered a 747 from evergreen uh, air i guess it was and they did a series of tests to try and emulate the flight of flight 800 right now they put temperature probes in the tank. Their theory, remember, is that the tank spontaneously exploded at altitude. Correct. They found that uh, on the day they flew the profile test, they got the tank up to 118 degrees on the ground. They took an air sample of the tank and found it not to be explosive on the ground.
0: Mm-hmm. And when the
1: airplane took off, uh, the tank uh, cooled uh, fairly slowly because of several reasons, but... Uh, the tank only got down to about 111 degrees at 14,000 feet, and when they took a, a fuel sample, they found it to be marginally flammable, okay, and that was the big news. Uh, th- there's only one problem. The problem is on the day that they flew the test flight, the ambient temperature was about 93 degrees when they started the test, and when they took off, the temperature was still 88 degrees, now, when you compare that with uh, remember, they only had a marginally flammable tank at altitude.
0: What is that? What is the definition of marginally flammable? Well, if what, you throw what they, a match into it, it catches on fire. It could, yeah, it could burn
1: and and explode. They said that the their scientists said that uh, uh, the maximum explosive force would be or the, or the range would be between 40 pounds per square inch to 60 pounds per square inch, and the tank itself will hold about 20 pounds minimum. Uh, so it's I'll I'll put that as as flammable, marginally explosive, okay? All right. Now here's here's the here's what they didn't tell you. And they didn't even say they didn't even cover it in their data when they the six thousand pages of stuff they handed all these reporters. Um uh, TWA's temperature was seventy one degrees when they took off. Okay?
0: Right. There's
1: seventeen degrees difference and that airplane wasn't trying to cool a ninety degree fuselage with, with all that waste heat uh Going up around the tank. So what I'm trying to tell you, TWA's tank at altitude was probably 25 degrees cooler than the test aircraft that barely made it into the flammable explosive zone. Gotcha. Okay. Now let's go on to what you're saying is smoking gun, and it is. It's a big one. When I got to the uh, to the hearings, I, I went as a credentialed uh, reporter for Accuracy in Media, and uh, to classify the thing as a public hearing is is really a misnomer. There were very few. Uh, of the actual people off the street that were allowed into the place. Uh, Anyway, I get this mountain of of paper. One of the most critical things on on an air crash investigation, and particularly in civil aviation, where they have these uh, flight data recorders, you have a voice recorder and you have a flight data recorder. They call them black boxes. They're really not black. They're they're orange.
0: They're They're separate. Right. They're separate pieces of gear. Now, one records the final voice of uh, the cockpit crew. Right. The, other is, the okay. other is recording the aircraft's technical performance up until the very last second. Right.
1: Now, the only reason you put a flight data recorder in an aircraft is to capture the... Uh, I mean, it sits there and rides. Uh, most airplanes, of course, never crash. So they're, they're sitting there in the event that it does happen. The target, the whole reason that you put that piece of gear, an expensive piece of gear in this airplane, is to be able to recover it and play it back and see exactly what everything in that airplane was doing. Of course. All right. Now, the, the, it's it's almost uh, laughable. Uh, when I got to the data on the uh, flight data recorder, I didn't even catch it at first. It was one of these uh, retired uh, captains from TWA I've been working with, another crash investigator, uh, We've been looking at this together. A guy by the name of Howard Mann picked it up. And the reason I didn't notice it was the last line of data was literally lined out by the NTSB. They, now, wait a minute.
0: We're talking about now the uh, flight data reporter. recorder.
1: All right.
0: And you said the last line was lined out.
1: Right. What they did, I mean, you can see the aircraft performance in, in all kinds of things. It, it shows... Uh, uh, the altitude uh, readout. It shows the attitude of the airplane. It shows all uh, about 15 or, or 20 items. And uh, as the aer- aircraft uh, goes along, every second there's a there's a data block recorded in all these different categories. Gotcha. And in between seconds, there are even uh, partial data blocks on some of the stuff. So when they get to the very end of the tape, the stuff that that the the whole reason the gear's in the airplane. They literally drew a line through the last data block and made a note on the side, uh, end of Flight 800 data. And when you look at it, you, you, it's hard to read through it at first, and you assume, you know, I did that, uh, that this was some kind of previous recording or something, and, uh, and I, I sort of skipped over it.
0: Well, so, so in other words, you thought that this lined out last line was not part of the Flight 800, uh, uh, data at all but rather was part of some previously recorded flights
1: yeah well data. Uh, yeah exactly and and as it turns out this type of uh, flight data recorder uh, has about a 30 hour uh, uh, playback and it was only on the first uh, 30 minutes of, of uh, you know of flight so it there was no data that that
0: uh, was still on the tape. So they uh-huh. do not previ- they do not erase uh, previous flights. They record over them, much as right. we might record a tape over another tape. Right. Okay. Yeah. So this All right. Thing... So here, here's this lined out last line, hard to decipher, but I take it you managed to decipher the line.
1: Right. And uh, well, once you realize that it's a that's a piece of uh, that it's a valid data line, and it is the last second recorded of, of the flight. Uh, it's startling because uh, it, for instance, here's what it tells you The aircraft was uh, was climbing out and uh, and I did a little look at the previous uh, ten or fifteen seconds. It was climbing about twenty two and a half feet per second uh, the airplane was, right? and each one of these data iterations going across there, and all of a sudden, the airplane went from uh, thirteen thousand seven hundred and ninety nine feet is what it should have been at that at that last second.
0: What was that? Well, the altitude, again,
1: 13,799 feet. 799, all right. Okay, is what it should have registered. Now, what happened is that uh, it suddenly dropped. The uh, the altimeter dropped uh, 3,672 feet and, you know, registering down in the 10,000-foot level. And I went, ooh, well, that's uh, what happened. Obviously, the airplane didn't suddenly drop almost 4,000 feet. You look at the next column, and the airspeed indication goes from 298 knots to 100 knots. In other words, it lost 198 knots instantly in one second. That can't happen either. I mean, the airplane didn't hit a brick wall up there. Right. Um, and you go across, and there's there's a whole series. I'll not I'll just concentrate on these two because of time for, for a minute All right. to explain this. All right. Now, you, you have to... I mean, if you were working for the NTSB, it's your duty to explain the, this data line. I mean, how could the, These are real instruments. This is not somebody's imagination. This is hardware and airplanes that are recording actual data. Understood. Okay. The way the altimeter works is that you, you have a what's called a static airport on the side of the aircraft, and the... The altimeter is just a, like a barometer. Uh, it it sure. senses the pressure outside the airplane, converts it to a reading of, of altitude. All right.
0: Important point. So this sensor is looking out the side of the aircraft. Exactly. All right. Okay.
1: Now, all of a sudden, you get this tremendous drop in the reading of altitude. What that means is that this, this instrument recorded a pressure that normally would be at 10,170 feet or whatever the reading
0: was. So, in other words, you're telling me this last data line recorded a change in pressure um, from 13,799 down into the 10,000 range.
1: Right. Now, what that means is you have to go to, a, uh, to an atmospheric table to see what the, uh, what the actual conversion is in real pressure, pounds per square inch. And the the figure is uh, in the neighborhood of 1.32 pounds per square inch. That doesn't mean a lot to, to some people, but it, it does to me and to other people that understand about explosives and things. Because in order to get a, a sudden increase of pressure like that, uh, it sounds small, but remember, on the side of an airplane, you uh, one square foot is 144 square inches. All right. So... You know, it adds up when
0: you start looking at area. Right? All right, Bill, important point. How do you know that this pressure difference, which it was sensed and recorded, that you have found, came from an external source?
1: Okay, the reason being, what I did, uh, there's a series of, uh, of uh, equations that you use when you, when you compute uh, what an explosion will do as far as uh, delivering pressure to a distant point. And uh, they're, they're not all that complicated, but, but the bottom line is, what I, what I said is, okay, uh, I'm sure that uh, folks are going to say, well, yeah, the airplane blew up, so the pressure came from the center wing tank. Right. So I said, all right, I'm going to uh, uh, do the calculations, except instead of using the 60 pounds per square inch in the tank, uh, like the NTSB uh, scientists uh, were saying was the maximum, I'm going to arbitrarily assume that it's 600 pounds per square inch in the tank. Ten times more. Right. Ten times the pressure, and yes. I'm going to compute what uh, what the what the overpressure would be on that static port, 70 feet up the side of the airplane, right. uh, near the nose. Gotcha. The answer is 0. 0.43 psi pounds per square inch. That's using a figure ten times uh, what. Uh, you know, what their explosive people said was the maximum capability of that. So, tank. in
0: other words, there is no way on God's green earth, and above it, apparently, that an explosion from the center fuel tank could have caused this pressure reading on the external uh, uh, pressure sensor.
1: Right. And, that,
0: and see... Translated, the center tank didn't do this.
1: No, in fact, the point being that uh, it's, again, another point of common sense. The only power that you get on the aircraft is through the generators that are out on the wings, on the engines, rather right. than on the wings. Right. Now those that wiring routes right by the center wing tank on the way up to the uh, forward part of the aircraft.
0: Uh huh. So in other words, uh, had the center tank blown, the data would not have been, could not have been there because it would have blown that wiring to bits first. Right. Exactly correct. Okay. And,
1: okay. So that, but, but let's let's assume that we have the hard, toughest wire in the world, and it's gonna Last at least a second through the middle of this explosion. Okay. It's uh, uh, both the airspeed indication that dropped to uh, 100, uh, uh, down to 100 knots from almost 300, and the altitude both work off the PDOT uh, uh, static system, they call it, in the aircraft. Now I'm going to switch to another sensor.
0: Okay, you're, you're saying that neither one of these changes, the change in altitude nor the change in apparent airspeed, are real. No. These are just simply anomalies produced by the external pressure. Right. The okay. pressure
1: that... It, every time right. there's an explosion in the atmosphere, All right. there's an overpressure wave that goes out at the speed of sound. Waves, and And when it hits something, it delivers an overpressure.
0: All right. Okay. You want to talk about
1: another sensor. Okay. The other sensor is what's called the angle of attack uh, uh, system. Angle of attack is... Um, is an instrument that measures the exact angle that the wind is striking the nose of the aircraft. Awesome. Normally uh, in flight, and this you see in the data, that uh, the airplane that in that condition, climbing at that speed and so on, the angle of attack was three degrees. Uh, almost directly on the nose, just three degrees below the nose, that the wind was striking the aircraft. Right. All of a sudden, when this overpressure wave hits, it goes from three degrees to 106 degrees. My God! Okay, so the, this this vein on the outside of the aircraft—it looks like a little uh, wind vein.
0: Actually. I don't, no, I understand.
1: Okay, now it suddenly gets blown up past the 90-degree position, and then you see—that's one of the data blocks that has two more hits after the the, the main. Uh, uh, it shows
0: that the vein goes to 106 on that, on that last full data block. So, in other words, the direction of the prevailing wind suddenly, utterly, completely, instantly changed.
1: Changed, not, yeah, changed to going almost uh, perpendicular to the flight path of the aircraft.
0: And, again, uh, the information you have just presented has come from the last line, right. which was lined out for some unknown reason. Well, they were uh, the handing to the media. Flight data recorder.
1: Right, they were handing the.
0: Was it lined out in such a way that uh, they intended for you not to be able to read it, or was it lined out in such a way? Do you believe it's legible if you look at it uh,
1: closely? But that, remember, they're handing this out to reporters, and reporters would go down and say, "What? How come this last line's so screwed up?" I don't think they wanted reporters to ask the questions. Okay, in fact, that. that uh, I'm led to believe that last line is not lined out on the, uh, on the Internet. When they posted this stuff on the Internet, it's, right. uh, it's in plain view. But let, let me finish on, the, uh, on this angle of attack thing because sure. it's important. When the, the reason that it's important is that there's two more data hits on the angle of attack system before, the system, before it's, it shuts off with power. And they happen a quarter second after the main uh, data line and then a half second after. And what it shows is that this, this uh, angle of attack vein goes up to 106 degrees, then a quarter second later it's back down to 30 degrees, mm-hmm. and a quarter second after that it's back down to 3 degrees, which is essentially the normal uh, position. Now, what that means is that this data is real. It, that's exactly what... It,
0: it records the entire event.
1: Right. It, and, and at least a half a second after the last full data block, And the the vein did exactly what it would have done if it had encountered an outside air
0: explosion. The only thing then that can explain, the only thing that can explain this data is an external detonation.
1: Right. And, uh, you can even see it in, in the engine. I mean, there's, there's two or three other main systems that all say the same thing. I mean, things happen to that airplane on that last data line that can only happen when they encounter a, uh, uh, a near experience of a high explosive bill,
0: how can you know for certain or even nearly certain that that last line belongs to flight eight hundred
1: because it's 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 sequentially and it's the time is there in other words everything is uh, is is sequentially there you've got
0: oh god, you mean the t- in other words, they have time hacks
1: yeah so the
0: time in other words, it goes the previous
1: the full data line was uh at uh, 8.31 and 11 seconds, and then the one we're talking about, it's a, uh, at 8.31 and 12
0: seconds. Then you've got them.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, that's what that's what we're on the air for here. I mean, to me and to an expert uh, that's used to reading this stuff, you better explain that last line, I mean, uh, before you put this puppy to bed.
0: God, uh, you've got them. I think. So, uh... uh... What, what, we've, uh, what do you want to happen now, Bill? Uh, do you want? Should you be on Nightline? Should you be on the NBC ABC Evening News? Should well, you, that, what that, that what?
1: requires a that requires an invite. But uh, I think what uh, Accuracy Media is going to do is is probably put a uh, we'll probably put a uh, uh, press uh, conference together sometime uh, in the near future and. What I really would, what we really need, is more support for the aviation subcommittee that's investigating this thing. How how and can we how can we help? So The simple way would be to drop a just a card, a postcard to uh, a Chairman uh, Jimmy Duncan. Uh, he's a congressman from Tennessee, but uh, the way to to say it is, uh, Chairman of the Aviation Subcommittee, uh, House of Representatives, uh, Washington D.C., and uh, they'll get it just. Uh, uh We want the, the truth and the whole truth about flight eight hundred
0: are there any fax numbers or any numbers or email addresses that anybody should be aware of uh well uh, i'm not uh, I'm not on the computer net myself I'm, okay. I'm I'm
1: having a tough enough time with just running a fax machine with this thing going on but
0: uh um, I would, think would, would, are, do, do you want to give out your fax number? Uh, in other words, there may be other experts, pilots who can help you.
1: The, the best way to do that is to go through uh, probably Accuracy and Media because um, uh, in Washington D.C. and I can. Uh, there's an 800 number if I can. Uh,
0: you can give it out.
1: Yeah, let me. I got to find it here first. Uh,
0: Bill, are you going to be safe? Oh yeah,
1: I don't. Uh, I, don't, I really, this thing has been, I've been on so much uh, radio and television now. Uh, okay, the 800 number for accuracy in media is one eight hundred seven eight seven four five six seven.
0: All right, I'm not enough of an aviation expert to uh, to poke any holes in what you've just said. But, you know, off the top of my head, I don't see any holes in what you've just said. So. Well, the
1: uh, Congressman Traffican has already sent questions this morning uh, addressing this very issue to the National Transportation Safety Board demanding answers.
0: Well, if it's true, God help us. Bill, thank you. Yes, sir. Take I care. It, That's uh, Bill Donaldson. And again, uh, the accuracy and media number, which is, I guess, handling things for him, is 1-800-787-4567. So you heard it first here. Anybody uh, have any professional arguments with what they just heard? I'm Art Bell. This is Coast to Coast AM.